Yama, I'm your host Nari Pakai and welcome to NITV Radio for this Wednesday, 13th of December. Coming up on today's show, a try trade program in collaboration with TAFE and Verto in Orange sees Indigenous high school girls experience trade skills and education. Bungara Dance Theatre Company announces world premiere of a newest production, Horizon, the company's first cross-cultural collaboration. And we share a few stories from our NITV news team. All these stories and more coming up to you. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, Indigenous land custodians in the Northern Territory pose final appeal to the High Court that could set important precedent. Cyclone Jasper is set to make landfall. Queensland residents are on high alert. And a plane crash in northern New South Wales has claimed the life of two people. The High Court has begun hearing a final appeal from Indigenous land custodians in the Northern Territory who want to prosecute the federal government. The case could set an important precedent. The long-running legal battle centres on the damage caused during the construction of a walkway to the top pools of the iconic Gunlum Falls in Kakadu National Park. The walkway, built by Parks Australia, was built too close to a men's sacred site. Parks Australia successfully argued in the Northern Territory Supreme Court that as the Commonwealth body, it was not bound by the Territory's sacred site laws. The Indigenous land custodians are appealing that. Valerie Martin is the Deputy Chair of the Aboriginal Areas Protection Authority, says the Commonwealth is trying to avoid accountability. Sacred sites are important for Aboriginal people and for all Australians. Commonwealth are saying they are above the law, but we say we must be accountable at all costs. Andrea Kelly has been appointed as Australia's first interim First Nations Aged Care Commissioner, following the recommendations made by the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety. The Royal Commission recommended a statutory First Nations Aged Care Commissioner to be appointed to ensure culturally safe, tailored and flexible aged care services for First Nations people. Mrs. K- Ms. Kelly is expected to commence the interim role in 2024 with a First Nations Aged Care Commission expected to be appointed in 2025. Papua New Guinea still views Australia as its main security partner and has kept talks with China limited to the economy. PNG Prime Minister James Morape says Mr Morape met with both the Chinese President and Premier while, being, while in Beijing earlier this year 
but says he told the two leaders he only wanted to discuss economic links. Australia and PNG have since signed a defence pact that mandates consultation if either nation is attacked or if the peace and stability of either nation is threatened. Australia will also provide $200 million to help boost PNG's policing and justice system, including a training centre for Pacific in Port Moresby. Prime Minister Minister Marape has told the Lowly Institute event the most important thing China and Western allies can do for PNG is discuss economic strategies. The greatest threat facing humanity after climate change, if not greater than climate change, is poverty. Mm. Poverty. Mm. The gap in poverty must be filled. Mm. And the West cannot be ignorant to this. Mm. Economies need to survive. Market needs to be maintained. Mm. And China has given us great respect by keeping our students space. We've mm. told them before we went to Beijing, don't talk security, mm. don't talk politics, let's talk commerce and trade. Activists have defaced an exhibit on the Treaty of Watangi at New Zealand's National Museum, Te Papa, in the latest display of tension around the place of Māori after the election of the right-wing government. Police arrested a number of people following the coordinated protest at Wellington's Waterfront Museum on Monday. The target was the museum's display explaining the Treaty of Watangi, New Zealand's foundational document. One man abseiled into the building using an angle grider and spray paint to damage the display. Others held signs saying, tell the truth in both English and Toreo, the Māori language, while another used a megaphone to critique the display. Stephen Miles is set to become the 40th Premier of Queensland. The current Deputy Premier secured enough support from union members during the deal on Monday. Health Minister Shannon Fentiman withdrew her candidacy for the top job, revealing that she would instead back Mr Miles. Mr Miles has confirmed that Cameron Dick, who was also running for the leadership role, is set to become Deputy Premier while remaining as Treasurer. Yesterday I asked Cameron Dick to join me as my deputy in a leadership team that we will take to the Labor Party caucus on Friday. Cameron has been a strong treasurer. 46-year-old Stephen Miles should emerge from Friday's caucus meeting as Labor's new leader, while the other challenges, well, with no other challenges in sight. Jimmy Barnes is set to have heart open heart surgery for a bacterial infection. The Australian rock singer posted a statement to X, formerly Twitter, saying despite everyone's best efforts, bacterial infection he's been fighting over the last fortnight has spread to his heart. He says the surgery, which he's set to have today, will take him out of action for a while. He apologised for all the inconvenience this will cause and asks for patience while his team works hard to figure out what will happen with the upcoming shows. Five years ago, Australian governments committed to reviewing the age of criminal responsibility, but advocates say children as young as 10 
are still dealt with in a way that can cause serious long-term harm. While a report released in 2020 as part of the review process recommended the federal, state and territory governments raise the minimum age to 14 years without exception, this advice has not been actioned. After the advocacy groups described as five years of delays and glacial progress, many had expected to get a better idea of where each state, territory and federal government stood on the issue but last, but last week but have been left disappointed. In most parts of Australia, the minimum age of criminal responsibility is 10 years of age, which means some primary school age children can legally be detained as part of the justice system. The Prime Ministers of Australia, New Zealand and Canada have issued a joint statement on the Israel-Hamas conflict, pledging their support for the creation of a sustainable ceasefire in the Gaza Strip. In a statement issued on Wednesday, Anthony Albanese, New Zealand PM Chris Luxon and Canadian PM Justin Trudeau said any ceasefire cannot be one-sided and that Hamas must give up its weapons. The statement also said they recognise Israel's right to exist and right to defend itself, but the price of defeating Hamas cannot be the continuous suffering of all Palestinian civilians. The Prime Minister said Hamas must release all hostages and stop using Palestinian civilians as human shields. It ended with a condemnation of what they described as rising anti-Semitism, Islamophobia and anti-Arab sentiment in their countries and around the world. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has met the United States President Joe Biden at the White House, where he is appealing to the US senators for further aid in his country's war with Russia. President Biden has requested an additional $167 billion AUD aid package for Ukraine, Israel and other national security needs, but has faced pushback from Republican senators who control the House. Mr Biden says he wants to get the funding bill passed by Christmas. Mr. President, I've called on Congress to do the right thing, to stand with Ukraine and to stand up for freedom. And I want to thank you for being here. You're going to help the cause, and I don't want you giving up hope. But the Speaker of the House, Representative Mike Johnson, says he asked the White House for more clarity. We need a clear articulation of the strategy to allow Ukraine to win. And thus far, their responses have been insufficient. They have not provided us the clarity and the detail that we have requested over and over since literally 24 hours after I was handed the gavel as Speaker of the House. And so what the Biden administration seems to be asking for is billions of additional dollars with no appropriate oversight, no clear strategy to win, and, and none of the answers that I think the American people are owed. Residents in far north Queensland are on high alert as Cyclone Jasper is set to make landfall in just a matter of hours. The system has been downgraded to a Category 1, but is expected to bring intense rain and wind, with the potential for major damage. The cyclone is forecast to cross the coast near Port Douglas, north of Cairns, later this afternoon. 
Residents have spent the past days preparing for the slow-moving system to arrive and watching as it neared the coast. Cooktown Mayor Peter Scott issued this warning as he told Nine Network a cyclone shelter has been set up overnight. As soon as that wind reaches 100k per hour, we close access and egress to the cyclone shelter. Um, We don't let people in or out because it's too dangerous. The same goes for anybody. Don't go outside. New data has revealed disability support providers are feeling the pinch of cost and demand increases facing the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Its release comes after a review into a critical safety net, proposed sweeping changes and ensure its sustainability. The new report reveals 34% of providers made a loss in the past financial year. Amanda Youngs from My Life Disability Services says the ones who truly lose from this situation are those in need of support. There are, you know, many people, as we know, with, um, with disability and they all deserve um, and need help and support. Uh, and if organisations like ours can't provide that, um, really that, that's a, a, an indicator of a market that, that's failing. Two people have died in a plane crash in North, northern New South Wales. Police were notified of the incident on Tuesday and arrived at the scene in Lindale, where they confirmed the death of a male in his 30s and a child. It remains uncertain if the two were related, with the families of the victims already notified and an identification process underway. Local resident Kerry Monk says she witnessed the incident take place. We heard the noise, a big explosion, a couple of them with some whirly sounds, uh, whooshing sounds, and we thought, that's not right. Um, So we got up and went to investigate, saw smoke and flames and thought, right, that's something pretty serious. So we raced back to the car, raced into the car, took off. We got phones and things like that, took off to see if we could assist anybody. A major crash involving more than 20 vehicles has caused traffic chaos northwest of Melbourne and left one person fighting for their life. The multiple vehicle collision in the Western Freeway at Marignong near Barkas March happened just before 4pm on Monday. Victorian police said there were more than 20 vehicles involved in the crash that happened with heavy fog in the area. Ambulance Victoria confirmed paramedics responded to several multi-vehicle incidents at Marignong with a total of 20 patients taken to hospital. One person was taken to the Royal Melbourne Hospital in critical condition, while another 19 people, all in stable condition, were taken to hospitals including the Royal Melbourne, Ballarat Base Hospital, Sunshine Hospital and Footscray Hospital. Vic Traffic says the Western Freeway has been closed in both directions between Barkas Marsh and Ballin. The chair of Netball Australia, Wendy Archer, has called for the support of all fans of the sport during what she describes a difficult period. It comes as Chief Executive Officer Kelly Ryan handed in her resignation, which Ms Archer says was accepted by the Board of Directors. Ms Ryan's resignation comes just days after the settlement of pay dispute with the elite players of the code 
following months of negotiations. Ms Archer says all all those involved in with netball have only its best interests in mind. We are all striving to do the best that we can for the sport. And I would ask everybody to continue to support the sport that they love and enjoy at all levels, whether it's sitting at grassroots on a Saturday morning or a twilight competition or whether it's cheering on our diamonds. Um, we all need to work together to heal our sport and move forward. And now a look at today's weather. On Wednesday 13th of December, Broome is sunny with 37, Perth is sunny with 28, Adelaide is a shower of 2 at 26, Melbourne a shower of 2, possible storm at 33, Hobart a shower of 2 developing at 30, Albury Wodonga shower of 2 with 36, Canberra possible showers at 33, Wollongong, partly cloudy with 28. Sydney, partly cloudy, 29. Newcastle, partly cloudy, 30. Brisbane is partly cloudy, 30. Townsville has showers, 31. Cairns, possible cyclone at 29. Alice Springs is mostly sunny with 37. Darwin, a shower or two and possible storm at 34. And Torres Strait Islands, a shower or two at 34. Welcome back. I'm your host, Nari Pakai, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, TAFE and Verto collaborate to deliver the Youth Engagement Strategy Program for Indigenous teenage girls at Canopolis High School and Orange High. And Deborah Brown talks with NITV Radio about Bangara Dance Theatre Company's upcoming cross-cultural collaboration, Horizon. But first, let's take a look at some of the stories in the NITV Summer Series program. The nation's only black-owned newspaper revealed big plans for the future when NITV News visited in March, 12 months on from the catastrophic floods that ravaged the New South Wales regional city of Lismore. The Koori Mail played a huge role in the relief efforts during the floods and in the aftermath and hopes to continue serving the community for many years to come. Like many other homes and businesses, the Koori Mail was inundated with water during the Northern River's floods. As with any kind of traumatic event, you don't really move on. You're always going to grieve um, that experience. So um, I think that will be ongoing. After the floods, staff at the paper put down their pens and picked up pots and pans, setting up the Koori Kitchen a vital part of the relief effort for mob in the region. And you can still see the, the watermark there. So this is how far the water came up here on the second level. In the newspaper's new office, hanging proudly is the first edition published after the floods. We missed three editions, unfortunately. First time in the history of the Cree Mail that we'd not printed a newspaper. The Koori Mail now owns the entire building with plans to develop a community centre 
and a cafe in their old office space downstairs. And I know that I always joke about it, but um, I reckon this will be the blackest building on the block. And we certainly will be, you know, proud of that. And we can't wait to share all the updates with everyone because it's been a long, a long, hard 12 months. The Koori Mail has been published from here in Lismore for more than three decades. And despite the impact of the floods, they've come back stronger than ever. We're still here surviving and thriving, uh, you know, some 230-odd years later since colonisation, 12 months later since this natural disaster impacted our Bunjilung region. Continuing to work for the community in the good times and the bad. Tanisha Williams, NITV News. At just 10 years of age, Inkeby is one of Australia's youngest rap talents and the Noongar boy has made his debut at the big stage this year, performing alongside some of the deadliest names in Australian hip-hop. When 10-year-old Noongar Wongai rapper Inkeby walked on stage for his debut performance, it was a special moment sharing the limelight with his rapper dad, Fluent. In its second year as part of the Perth Festival, the Buraloo Block Party is a showcase of emerging talent like Inkeby and established First Nations hip-hop stars including Barker and Kobe D. It was the first time Ethan Eggington or Inkeby has performed with big-name artists other than his dad. Yeah, I look up to them like I look up to my dad, yeah. It feels like a privilege, like I'm sitting up there with some of the biggest Aboriginal rappers in the whole entirety of Australia. Inkeby performed Beat the Odds, his first successful song released online last year, and two new songs. And his dad couldn't be prouder. As I've created my music, he's... He's been there as a young person and observed that. In front of a crowd of around 600 hip-hop fans, the 10-year-old was the youngest person on and off the stage. Gomoroi rapper Kobe D says he's impressed by what Inkeby can do. I started writing when I was 10, but there is nowhere I was near as good as, as Inkeby at 10 years old. Like that kid, yeah, it's just crazy. It's mad, mad to see. It makes you like, like big proud to see that kind of stuff. The show's headliner, Barker, says Inkeby is the future of the Aboriginal music genre in Australia. That's our future, and um, the impact that he's having on my babies and all our black babies across this nation is just like, you can't put words on Nevada, and I'm just so proud of that young fella, um, and he's probably going to come for all our jobs. <laughs> From start to finish... Fluence Buraloo Block Party celebrated black excellence. Karen Cox, NITV News. Welcome back. Indigenous girls from Orange High and Canobolis High are trying out trades as TAFE New South Wales and Verto collaborate to deliver a youth engagement strategy. Yes. The participants are introduced to tools and skills of multiple trades, including joinery, carpentry and more. Sue Priest, head teacher of construction at TAFE Orange, gives insight into the program. Uh, the youth engagement strategy is sort of designed for school students that are coming a bit disengaged from school. But school's not for everybody. So then we try and um, show them a few different trades to see, open up their options and um, 
you know, they might want to become SBATs or TVATs or become apprentices and that sort of thing, just to show them what's available. When did the program run for this year How and how many people participated in it? Um, in the girls one, we had uh, one for Indigenous girls. We had eight girls go through. It run for four weeks in total, but they come for two days a week. So we had uh, joinery one week, uh, uh, construction the following week and then we had plastering and painting and decorating so they got a taste of four different trades while they were here. And are there plans f- to continue this program in the future or to continue with a new group or the current students? Uh, there are plans to do it again in the future. It was quite successful. We run another one with um, some school boys from a different school um, and it's quite good. They all want to become tradesmen too. So, um, yeah, there are plans ahead, but they'll be for a new new group. So this group can go on and do other trade areas but and continue that way, but we'll get a new group here to the construction industry part. And you're the head teacher of construction at TAFE New South Wales in Orange, yes? Yeah, that's true. How do you feel having a cohort of girls coming through doing construction and getting a taste of those skills? Well, as I said yesterday, um, when back in the day when I'd done my trade, I'd, I'd done the joinery trade. I think in Orange, I was only myself and another lady who was an electrician. Um, and now, you know, when we when we have uh, eight girls want to become or have a look at trades, and a lot of them want to become jib rockers, um, it's quite it's quite um, heartwarming for me. Actually, I'm quite proud, and it's um, quite proud to be part of the Indigenous group um, to to um, empower Indigenous women. Yeah. Uh, we're doing the training and Verto are like another organisation that they, they had they had a, a lot of Aboriginal help there. So Mary Croker from there is um works with the school children and helps um get them engaged and she drives a bus and picks them up and drops them off to TAFE and all that sort of thing. Oh so yeah, it's they, like they, a collaboration. Verto, yeah, Verto is another RTO and they sort of supplied the girls with like shirts and boots and all that sort of thing. There's um, girls that are now interested in becoming plasterers um, and doing an SBAT from school. So if they do that, they will be the first uh, women uh, plasterers in the Central West. So that's quite an achievement if we can achieve that. Well, that sounds like an amazing opportunity for them to continue their uh, education and their skill set with that. Um, You sound very proud and I want to thank you for having this interview today and talking about it. Oh, thanks for your time and thanks for having us on and thanks for promoting what we do here. That was Sue Priest from TAFE New South Wales Orange. We will see you after the break. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. You're listening to NITV Radio and I'm your host, Nairi Pakai. We speak with Deborah Brown, choreographer, dancer, director and all-round creative who is returning to the Bungara Dance Theatre Company in a cross-cultural collaboration of the upcoming production Horizon. The upcoming work is a collaboration with Māori choreographer Master Ururangi Patterson and Sani Townsend of Sabai Island. My name's Deborah Brown. I'm a former senior artist at Bangara Dance Theatre and I'm returning um, next year in 2024, well, next month, <laughs> it's 2024, 
um, to collaborate on a beautiful show called Horizon. Um, it's a double bill, and my section, uh, The Light Inside Us, um, is a collaboration with a gorgeous Maori choreographer, Moss Patterson. Um, and we're coming together. I, I think it's still early days, but we're coming together to create a piece or a story that reflects um, who we are and what we carry within us despite... Um, despite our commitments in in today's society and um, keeping that um, just keeping that light alive within us from our ancestry um, and how do we carry that and it never completely goes out even though we have all these other challenges commitments um, that we have to continue on in order to you know clothe ourselves food like food shelter you know, how, how we all live and experience day-to-day life. But what is it that stays within us and, and what do we keep and what keeps our fire burning? You said that you're set to do work on it. So is it going to be developed during next year? It's not currently developing at the moment. You're just bringing a team together. Yeah, yeah. So we had back in September one week... Um, it was actually the first time I got to meet Moss in person, in the flesh. We'd always talked on the phone and we'd been on Zooms and FaceTime. Um, but September was the first time we got to meet each other in the flesh. And I got to meet a beautiful family too. And um, I got to spend time with the current Bangara dancers because it's been it's been a while post-COVID and um, all these other work commitments and all their touring. So it was really lovely to spend just a solid week with everyone back on the wharf. Um, but, yeah, that was just a little bit of a taster, um, a little tester uh, that week. So next year is when we really um, hoe into it and really start digging deep and, and um, playing and creating together. Yeah. That's really thrown off my questions because I was going to ask you what it was like to work with another creative. I wanted to know what that cross-cultural, cross-Indigenous connection would have looked like. Yeah, well, what we've learnt so far, uh, well, just from just from that week, and we also, and I think what was really beautiful was also collaborating on the hero image. I don't know if you've seen the hero image the horizon, um, Daniel Mateo underwater, like like coming up to the surface, and there's a reflection of him, and that was a really interesting process as well. I think that was a good um, that was a good jumping off point for us as well of how do we work together. And um, look, it's really beautiful. I think because my background's Torres Strait Islander, um, that's where my ancestry comes from. Um, so there are some kind of similarities in, in dance language. Mm-hmm. So traditional, there's there's some kind of similarities, you know, in terms of frame, like you know, when you break it down into the, the framing and um, and the chanting, and you know, there's there's a there's a kind of similarity in in that. And then in the contemporary sense, I I found he and I had a um, a similar language as well in terms of what our I guess, yeah, what our dance language is in 
um, in, an, in a non-traditional sense. Um, and that was really interesting. Um, but I think there is, there is something, I, I think we're, we're finding ourselves also soul searching in a, in a similar way and identifying that in the space. So that again is just what I observed in the, the one week we got to collaborate together. Oh, we kept using the word reciprocity. It is a reciprocal. It's already, it feels like a quite a reciprocal um, collaboration in terms of offering space and offering time and um, learning from one another. It's interesting. He's working more from a freshwater perspective because um, in terms of being inspired by his homeland, beautiful lake, and I'm inspired by salt water as well. But water is a is certainly an element that the two of us are identifying with and, and the life that it offers offers us and that it has offered our people in the past. Yeah, I don't know if that's helped. No, it's really interesting question. to hear you talk about it. Um, so I might fall on to a little bit of your past um, experience working with Bangara. I wanted to know, with the dancers and the crew that make up the productions, how much of creative input do their collaboration as being able to take direction from you inform the way that the work is created and, uh, like, finished up? Oh, that's a really good question. Look, it's it's heavily collaborative, I think. I think um, there's, there's a respect to where the story comes from um, that's always I find I think I find that the most daunting and the most difficult about where the stories are being inspired from and the communities that it's coming from because it's always navigating um, what's allowed and what's disallowed and and what you bring into you know what resources culturally that you can bring into the studio space. Once once you kind of establish that in the studio, it's heavily collaborative with. Um, with the dancers being informed and responding to to that information and to that knowledge and to what you can share. Um, and then also with the creative team in terms of set, costume, music. Um, yeah, everybody brings something to the table. Everybody brings something into that circle and, um, and, and respectfully too. It's always brought in beautifully, brought in respectfully and, um, and, with a really beautiful sound discussion. Um, I think, it, like, the process, I know that I'm learning because I think I'm kind of still developing a process personally as a choreographer. Um, and I think it also depends on who your who your team is or who your dancers are. But at Bangara, you've got a really amazing collective group of dancers who are willing to just explore and... Um, experiment and experience, um, yeah, their own dance language as well as others. From my, from what I learnt the week that I was with them, because again, this is a new generation for me. Um, there was, there, yeah, there was certainly like a, a hunger and a desire to um, to experiment and play, which is always so great for any choreographer or director to walk into a space and know that people um, are pr- 
present and willing to just try anything. Um, and also have, and also have that ego to know that if some things aren't working at the time, that it's okay to let it go. So it's, yeah, I think it's a, in, in short, it's heavily collaborative. Um, and so far it's been very respectful and, um, yeah, it's been just a nice sort of, uh, calm beginning to the journey. Yeah, I just want you to know that I'm nodding along with you. I don't want to, like, you know, uh, make ums and ahs and, like, cut into uh, what you're saying. Um, I also saw that uh, some of the dates are a little bit uh, spread apart, but you have um, shows going into Gadigal and Nanawal and Minjin, and I also saw that there might be one happening in Dubbo, and it's kind of like uh, a coming home when you see a bunch of um, blackfellas who are all mad dance and creatives, and they come from all over the place, and then they get to go back into those communities and show off their mad talent. And I just wanted to say that I loved seeing um, how many places this is going. Yeah, I think that's one of... Uh, it's certainly something that I miss um, as a dancer. I really miss the travel. I really miss the touring. Um, sometimes the fatigue would kick in as a dancer and I think you don't realise what you're experiencing and then when you don't do it anymore, you go, oh, those are really wonderful times. Um, going back to community is always the most frightening but also the most ex- exciting and... Um, rewarding times to to tour um it's it's frightening because well they're your community and they're you want to make them proud and you want to make them uh you want to respect who you're yeah who you're returning to um so that can be really daunting but it's also super rewarding because there is certainly again that reciprocity you there's there's um you feel the reaction. You can feel the the um, yeah you, uh, the connection between community and dancers, if that makes sense. Sometimes you could go to an audience and it's very polite and very. But when you when you're performing amongst community and other black fellas, you know you know where you are, you know, and you know where you stand, um, and that's a wonderful experience. Um, yeah. I loved going to Dubbo, by the way, just as a as a side. We've I've done <laughs> Dubbo maybe yeah. three times. No, whenever I <laughs> one, see I Dubbo, one. I'm always charging up for it. I'm like, yeah, boy, that's where I'm from, obviously. <laughs> um, I remember one time we went there. It was so hot. We did we did the zoo. And it yep. was like 40 degrees. Like, what were we doing? It was crazy. It was crazy. Why were we doing the zoo in 40-degree heat? I don't know. <laughs> it's a rite of passage. <laughs> that and seeing the rhinos around town. <laughs> yeah. So it's great. And you've got, you've got a beautiful, like, you've got some amazing former dancers that have, you know, come from, you've got, you know, their... Yeah, good, amazing Wiradjuri dancers that have come from that way. So yeah, there's some. Mm. There's a yeah. My best be friend's cousin is one of the dancers. I'm sorry, I don't know his name. I haven't met him. <laughs> well, you've got a few. 
you've got, yeah, Wiradjuri, Wiradjuri fire is strong and the Bangara name is Wiradjuri. So there you go. We might finish up this interview, but I wanted to give yeah. you the opportunity to talk about any aspect that we haven't touched on yet. If you wanted any ending note. Oh, um, oh look, I just think, I think what we're hoping for, for some, a show like Horizon, particularly because this is the first time we're collaborating internationally as well. We're often on home soil on this continent. Um, so this is a really exciting collaboration for that matter. And I think um, talking to Francis Rings, who's the artistic director, the name Horizon um, became a really special, a really special word. Um, I think just to continue to offer hope and to continue to look out and look out to the future and, and know that, uh, I guess, to, um, to stay optimistic that's what we were looking at by using that word horizon. And I think what we're going to try and create is something that um, um, retains that optimism because I think we're in a kind of climate at the moment where it's very easy to be pessimistic. So hopefully this show can offer some kind of hope across the horizon. How is that for an ending? (laughs) Yes, well, I'll be looking forward to it and hopefully I'll be able to catch it in Dubbo. Um, Yeah! (laughs) That was Deborah Brown of the Bangara Dance Theatre Company. The production will be touring from the 11th of June 2024 to the 7th of September, starting in Sydney on Gadigal land and ending in Melbourne in Wurundjeri country. There will also be an audio-described performance available for people to access the story. For more information and ticketing, visit bengara.com.au. Coming up, some music, and it's also all we have time for today's program, so we'll leave you with that song. You can also listen back to the program anytime online and catch any of the stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back on Friday with more stories from right across the country. Thank you for listening.